God, would you change us this morning as we open your word? I pray uh, that you would help us to be ready for what you want to teach us. Uh, help us to be hungry for you, uh, hungry to change, hungry to, to love you more than we, when we walked in this morning. Uh, we need a lamp unto our feet. We need a light unto our path. And many of us are confused about just life in general and circumstances. And as we talk about parenting this morning, it maybe hits us with a particular gravity uh, to where we, we know that we need your help. Thank you, Jesus, that you are um, the word of God. You are the exact representation of the nature of God. You're God in the flesh. And so when we see you, we see God. When we see you, we see what love truly is. When we see you, we see the, the word truly fulfilled as you loved your father perfectly and loved others perfectly. And we don't do that. And so we throw ourselves upon your grace and your mercy again. That everything you are, everything you have done by faith in your name would be applied to us. Once again, remind us of your grace this morning as we open your word. Motivate us to change. Motivate us to worship you. Remind us of how blessed we are because we know you. If there's anyone in this room that feels the reality of being separate from you, would you draw them to saving faith in Jesus today? Would today be the day of salvation? Would they hear the words, wake up? Wake up, O sleeper, and let the light of Christ shine upon you that you might know and see him and worship him. We love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go and have a seat. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing well. You can, um, you can go firstly to the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's in your Old Testament. We're going to start there and then bounce to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's so great to be with you. And we are going to take a few weeks to, um, to talk about parenting. We've got a series called Parental Guidance, and we're going to take a few weeks after that to do more of a vision and values series, uh, kind of driven by our, our values as a church. And then we'll hop back into preaching verse by verse through some smaller books of the Bible uh, later on in the fall. Um, one of the things, every time I go to preach on parenting, that I'm reminded of is like you look at the Bible and you're and you, you go to look for parenting advice and you realize very quickly there's a whole lot of things that the Bible actually doesn't speak to in reference to parenting. Like for how important parenting is, the Bible in in a sense says relatively little about the day-to-day -day inner workings of parenting children. And so I've yet to find chapter and verse on like nap schedules or like feeding schedules like what should you do to manage those or what age is your kid being defiant versus foolish no strategies for how to build meaningful relationships along the paradigm of when your kids as they start getting older how to have family devotions what mode of education to choose no chapter and verse for that no guidelines for technology usage or dating I've yet to find any roadmap for how, how to help your kids deal with disappointment or how much sleep teenagers actually need to survive. If you don't really find that, you might search. It's not in there. I've tried. Nothing for how to responsibly empower your, your kids to make decisions or increase their independence, not to mention the complexities of parenting adult children. But yet the day-to-day the -day in all those ways and hundreds 
of other ways, like those decisions like create real stress, like real strain. And we, we, we find ourselves at times just kind of clamoring, trying to figure out like what's the right decision to make here. In part, that's why there's so many how-to books about parenting. One of the things that's daunting when I go to preach about parenting is so many voices. So many people that have opinions about parenting. You just go to Barnes and Noble and just camp there for, it'll probably take about three and a half hours to look at the titles as it relates to parenting. There's a lot of people that have opinions. Some of them are good and some of them are harmful. The fact of the matter is there's a whole lot of information, a whole lot of opinions about parenting. But what if maybe the perceived lack of specific vision in all those areas is actually helpful and clarifying to us? Because maybe it's this, that God gives us a big picture vision for what parenting is, so that in all of the granular stuff that we have to decide, we have to lean on him in faith and dependence and in prayer, seeking for him to guide us moment by moment. And maybe it's actually clarifying that what he does tell us is a bigger picture vision, and that's really what we're going to look at this morning. So the main idea is this, that our vision for parenting will determine our priorities in parenting. I had the chance this summer uh, with the, the men on the UNCW basketball team. I'm the chaplain there, and we've, we've been looking at biblical manhood. And one of the things we've talked about is how, in, as it relates to biblical man or manhood in general, like men will, will develop a vision for what it means to be a man from somewhere. Like they, w- they will develop that vision from somewhere, something, someone. The question is, is whether or not it will be driven by Scripture or not. The same could be true of parenting. Like, you'll develop some measure of a vision for parenting from something or somewhere or someone. And the question is, what bearing does the Bible have on the way that you view what parenting is and what parenting isn't? So as believers, our vision for parenting will determine our priorities in parenting. Maybe specifically, our biblical vision for parenting will create biblical priorities in parenting. Here's what I want to do just for a second. I want to pause because some of you heard the term parenting. You're like, I'm out. I ain't got kids yet. I'll come back a few weeks from now. Just send me the podcast. I'll check it out. Let me, let, me, let me try to submit to you some reasons as to why you should listen if you don't have children. Why you should be interested in a parenting series. Uh, maybe the low-hanging fruit is that this will be preparatory for some of you. And some of you will have children in the future. And so it's good to be able to have a, a cash to pull from of biblical wisdom and insight to pull from when you become parents. Maybe that's, maybe that's obvious. Another reason would be that ultimately hearing from God's word on parenting is, is helpful for all of us to understand that God's word actually speaks to the issue of parenting. So if it's true that all of God's word is helpful and instructive and shapes us and conforms us into the image of Jesus so we can be adequate and useful for God, then it's true that every single believer benefits from hearing from the Word of God, even on a topic like parenting, even if you might feel it's a little bit irrelevant for you. All of us benefit because it's ultimately from God's Word. I'd also say this, that it sets a standard for anyone to encourage parents and lead children or lead other people. I would just say this is, I was, I was kind of challenged by this, thinking about this dynamic as a parent as a, a man who's married with children, do I have a category for a single person without children being able to challenge me and encourage me as a parent? 
if it's from Scripture. Because we should have that category, singles. If you're walking with Jesus and you know the word of God, there may be a moment where you need to encourage a parent among us in this family of faith because you've heard and you've seen and you've been acquainted with God's word. So those are some reasons that I would encourage you to listen. So as we consider what it means to have a biblical vision for parenting, the same principle or principles translate to your life in general. Namely this, a biblical vision for your life is necessary to maintain biblical priorities in your life. So Proverbs 29, verse 18, that's where we're going to be. Just this one brief verse in Proverbs that's going to give us a little bit of a springboard to dive into a couple portions of Deuteronomy. So Proverbs 29, 18 is going to be where we start. Proverbs is a book of wisdom sayings, one of the books of the Old Testament written by Solomon. And Proverbs 29, 18 says this in very brief fashion. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So many, you might have even heard this verse translated or quoted this way, that with, without vision, the people perish. Some translations use the word perish instead of cast off restraint. And many people use this passage to talk about the importance of visionary leadership in organizations and even in churches, how it's important to have a prophetic, forward-looking vision for an organization if people are going to follow you. And there's some truth to that. It's important for a, a church or an organization to have a vision for the future. And so we have some measure of goals or vision for what's ahead. But that's not what this passage is talking about. What this passage is talking about is ultimately the prophetic vision in Proverbs 29, 18 is later seen as the law. Blessed is he who keeps, who follows God's law. So the picture would be something like this, that God's vision, his prophetic vision for your life is his word. Like his word, his law provides a vision for what it looks like to live a life that pleases God. The prophetic vision, which is the main message of the, the priests and the prophets of old, was not a message on how to increase attendance in the temple or primarily even a foretelling of the future, although there was some of that. It was predominantly the foretelling of already revealed truth from God. And without that vision, people perish. They're unrestrained. They cast off Restraint. This prophetic vision was a proclamation of the vision God had already given to his people. God's word is God's vision for your life. And this vision, God's vision, is the pathway to experience God's blessing. It's the place of flourishing and fruitfulness. And ultimately, the measure of our faithfulness is found in whether or not our, our lives align to this vision of God for human life, for our lives. So when we look in Proverbs 9, 29, 18, remember this before we flip to Deuteronomy, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So you can flip, if you'd like, to the book of Deuteronomy to the left in your Old Testament. It's the fifth book in your Bible. We'll have the verses I'll be hitting on up on the TVs as well. But just a brief kind of orientation here. 
The book of Deuteronomy is kind of a stationary book, meaning it doesn't progress historically. And it's, it's in a, a sense, kind of a second giving of the law. The people have been wandering in the wilderness. There's a whole generation that's wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience after they've come out of Egypt and slavery. They wander for 40 years. Deuteronomy is given as basically a set of sermons from Moses, their primary leader, before they go into this promised land where they're going to take hold of the land that God had promised many, many years previously. But think of it this way. The book of Deuteronomy is a little bit like a vow renewal ceremony. I don't know how many of you have been to like a marriage vow renewal. My parents years ago did a a marriage vow renewal down in South Carolina where they just reaffirm their commitment to the very things that they've been committed to all along, but there's some benefit in realigning or just restating the fact that this is what we're committed to, and I want you to know I'm committed to it. Here's the guidelines. Here's the covenant. Here's the commitment, and we're stating together we're going to abide by this. That's a lot of what Deuteronomy is about. It's a recalibration for the people of God, to God's vision for them as to what it means to be his people. And so let me just say this real quickly. Every single one of us would benefit from that today, right now, every single Sunday. There's some measure when we come in here and we sing and we hear God's word, there's a recalibration. There's a renewal of our commitment to one another, to God, to represent him in the world and to go out from this place to make him known. And so Deuteronomy is really the theme of the book is is like a vow renewal, renewed commitment to be faithful to God, specifically by knowing God's word, doing it, and teaching it. And this is where we kind of start to bleed into maybe some more specifics about this vision of a life that's aligned with God's word. In Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 and 2 and verse 9, it says this. It says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Time and time again, particularly through the first 11 chapters, there's this drumbeat of know my word, follow my word, teach my word, make it known. You see in Deuteronomy chapter 10, something similar. And you see it as several times through chapter 6 through 11, a similar theme, if not identical, preaching and principles from Moses. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. So as I mentioned, like these verses and, and, and Moses' sermons are recalibrating the people of God as to what it looks like to live their lives according to his vision for human flourishing and fruitfulness and faithfulness to him. How much do you need that today? How much do you feel the need to recalibrate your life to the word of God? Parenting aside, all of us need to consider that question. How does my life need to be recalibrated to God's word as the vision that I follow for my life? I learned something this week about microelectromechanical systems. Anybody know what that is? Any engineers in the crowd? All right. Thank you, Frank. I knew there'd be a couple. 
You can see them later if you want some uh, breakdown. The only thing I know about them is that they're, they're kind of the background technology that run many of the sensors and things like the Apple Watch or things that monitor your heart rate or your body temperature. And you can, if you can imagine just for a second, those type of instruments need a really specific calibration so the world just doesn't fly into a panic everywhere. Because if you can imagine like everybody with an Apple Watch, if those sensors are off and everybody's constantly thinking their heart rate's like 250, you'd have to, I mean, it'd be pandemonium. Or how about like pregnancy tests? If someone messed up the calibration on what's positive, I mean, it would just be unbelievable, the kind of panic in the world. If they were like 75% inaccurate, right? Like what would our world become? There's probably a million other things. I was thinking about bulletproof vests, like the, the thickness and toughness of the material, the Kevlar, to keep a bullet from coming through a vest and killing an officer. You get that wrong, there's significant impact and detriment to the person who wears it. You get the picture, right? But these sensors each require calibration to a particular standard. There's no calibration unless you have a standard. And I would submit that's what Deuteronomy is getting across, what Proverbs 29, 18 is getting across. There is a standard, and that standard we could call a vision, and that vision is God's word. Like his law is the vision for what it looks like to live a life that pleases God. And parents, his word is the standard for what it looks like to be a faithful parent. And so really the, maybe the, the question that's most paramount for us as parents is, is my life aligned to the word of God? Before you start getting into all the how-tos, I would submit that's the most important question for us. Like, do I love God? Do I lead by example? And we'll get there in just a, a moment. But you see this picture in Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. It's a really interesting word that in other places is translated naked or neglectful, broken loose, out of control. Proverbs 8.33 says, hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Same word. Proverbs 13.18 says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. So if, if you're to walk away with any question kind of burning in your mind, I would want it to be this. Like, is my life and my parenting aligned with the word of God? Or have I somehow unhinged from it? Have I ignored it? Have I neglected it? Am I ignoring? Am I neglecting it in order just to survive? Am I more concerned about all the various how-tos? And have I, have I, have I forgotten that the ultimate goal is for my life to be consistent with God's word. One of the interesting parts where that same word is translated is in Exodus 32, 25. It says, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose who were out of control, he came, and this is the part where they, they basically made a golden calf. And one of the pictures you see in the book of Deuteronomy is how they didn't have, they didn't have a picture of what the form of God, he spoke from the mountain, but you, you couldn't see his form, so you made something in the image of a creature. So just follow the train of thought. You didn't have the form. You didn't have a vision for what God looked like. So you made one in the image of something on earth. 
So if you, if you take it this step, you don't have a vision for what it looks like to, to be a parent. You will shape one in the image of something else. If you don't have a biblical perspective on what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a child of God, following Christ, ultimately your parent, parenting will be shaped by other things. And I want to talk specifically about what those things may be. Without a standard, though, we are unrestrained, left, left to fabricate a standard of our own liking based on preference or ease. But the standard we fabricate is eternally inferior to the standard God has given. Because we're sinful, we lack wisdom, our version will be driven by feelings and circumstances and ultimately distorted by our sin. So what, what things in the world or in our flesh can begin to set the vision for parenting? Let me give you a few things to consider. I think a couple of the potential competitors to a biblical vision, if not fraudulent visions, could be academics and athletics. If your primary goal is for your son or daughter to flourish as an athlete or as a student before they flourish as a godly man or woman, then we've missed it. It doesn't mean those things aren't important. It doesn't mean they can't be tools to grow them in character. But if in your heart you know that one has surpassed or competes with or undermines a biblical vision for your child to align their life with the word of God, then there's something that needs to be recalibrated. Secondary interests and influences. Parents, I think if we're honest, misplaced identity for us can drive our vision for parenting. Here's what I mean by that is we can get our validation in this world from how, our parent, from how our kids act, what they do or what they don't do. And if our vision ultimately is to create a child who is just the best reflection on us, we've missed it. We've missed it. Because ultimately, our charge is, is before God to follow him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, to love him, to walk in his ways, to fear him, to serve him, to teach them our identity is not found in our children. And that is hard. Because there's so many hours, like there's so much emotional energy you put into sh shepherding and caring for your kids that your identity becomes so tangled up in who they are and what they do that it becomes the validation for your humanity. Your joy ebbs and flows with how much they listen to you or, or even the warmth towards you relationally. It doesn't mean those things, we should be indifferent to those things, but they don't define who we are. And your vision for your parenting, if you let it, will be defined by your validation, your identity being found in your children instead of in Christ. Another one could be fear. We, just even as parents, for Haley and I, I think we, maybe particularly as our kids get older, that there's a component of fearing your children to the point to where you feel hesitant to make decisions that you know are right. Like we feel the temptation to like not want to squeeze too hard or make certain decisions we know they're not going to like out of fear because we don't want to drive them away. And it takes prayer to navigate through those things. But if the dominant feeling you have is just one of fear, like you can't make decisions and lead and shepherd and guide because you're driven by fear, then you've lost a biblical vision for parenting. 
is if you just pan forward to 1 John chapter 4, like perfect love, right? If you're perfectly loved by God, then it drives out fear. God is faithful. And he's, he's demonstrated his love for you as a believer and that Jesus became the sponge to soak up the wrath of God for you. And so as a result, you can walk through life and in parenting free from ultimately the punishment you deserve because of your sin and knowing that God is good. We talked about this in our a class last week, that he's full of goodwill for his people. God loves you. He's not just love in general. Like, he loves you. You as his child. And he is good and he's faithful. As Josh encouraged us a couple weeks ago, it doesn't mean that every circumstance and situation feels good. But God is good in every circumstance and situation. And that's so important to remember. It does drive out fear. We anchor ourselves to the truth of who God is, which is all wrapped up in his prophetic vision, the word of God and what he says about you, what he says about your kids, what he says about himself. Notably, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy reminds this new generation how vital it is for them to obey God in order to avoid the mistakes and pain of their parents. As you look back at the desert wandering, like in the book of Numbers, their rebellion against God, lack of faith, they have to wander, is really a form of discipline from God to his people. And part of the book of Deuteronomy is like, hey, don't repeat the patterns of your parents. And in some sense, that's a good message. But it's really only a good message if it's accompanied by obey God and don't make the mistakes of your parents. It's very different to just say, hey, don't make the mistakes of your parents. But if it's accompanied with obey God so that you can avoid the pains and mistakes of your parents. Here's what I mean by that. You can develop a vision for your parenting simply based on what you don't want to become. You may just decide you're going to swing away from whatever you've experienced and seen. And so your vision is completely structured based on the things that you don't want to do or the person you don't want to become. Now, that might be beneficial to some degree, but it's insufficient to have a biblical vision for parenting. Because it's really absent, ultimately, of the driving force of God's word being that which dictates what's true and right and fruitful and what faithfulness looks like. There's probably some benefit in things that you move away from, but really only to the degree that they align with God's word. So don't just merely build your vision from, for parenting from your own experience or things that you want to avoid, right? So if, we, if I asked my youngest, my youngest too, and we've asked our kids at some point, I'm sure all this, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, it's a fun question to ask. If our, if, our, if our children are like, I don't want to be a fugitive, I'd be like, can we shoot higher? I mean, <laughs> can we raise the bar a little bit? I mean, it's, it's good. I don't want you to be a fugitive, but let's, let's, let's kind of try to come up to something a little bit better, right? So we chuckle, but what if that was our perspective? Like, I just don't want to be a fugitive. I just don't want to be a mess. Well, okay. It's okay to not want to be a mess, but God has more for you than that. That's, that's too low of a bar for the child of God. Like his, his word is life and it helps us flourish. And so how about we bring our parenting up to that bar? Let's raise the bar. God's vision for your life and parenting is high and it's lofty, but it's also good. It's life-giving. As Christian parents, we labor to align our lives under God's rule and reign. As I mentioned before, 
the book of Deuteronomy, a major theme is recalibrating the nation to God's vision for what it means to be his people. Let me just give you a couple of things to consider practically here. These are the words that came to mind for me as I was thinking about it, talking to Haley about it too. Is that recalibration requires evaluation. Like you have to be willing to evaluate the current state of your heart, the current state of your activity, the current perspective you have, the current framework for whatever it is that's driving your vision for parenting, you have to evaluate to be able to recalibrate. That goes for your life in general as a believer. How do I need to grow? Let me just evaluate. How's my life aligning with the word of God? Create time and space to evaluate and recalibrate. So Haley and I did this back in March around the time of my birthday. And I'm not sharing this example to commend us, I'm sharing the example because it was a moment where we realized that there's some things in our parenting and our rhythms of life that were just off. It just kind of drifted away from what, where we felt like was healthy and biblical in some ways, whether it be in family devotions or just time spent at home and things like that. And so we sat together and prayed and talked about like various categories of life. And we tried to like evaluate th- those in light of what we believe God's word says about us and wants for us. That's what I'm talking about. Just create space and time to evaluate so you know how to recalibrate. Like there's a standard, but you also have to evaluate where you are in reference to the standard to be able to move yourself back in calibration with that standard. Make sense? So create time and space to do that. How does this align with, compete with, support, or undermine God's stated priorities? And then make adjustments. Make adjustments. The last two things I want to provide, just by way of encouragement, these are maybe just more of the outworking of having a biblical vision for parenting, is firstly this, love God. And you see this all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, this call to love God. It's not just a call to obey, but obedience is really a function of loving God. We see that in Jesus, right? If you love me, you obey my commands. So for the believer, like you can't disconnect obedience to God from a love for him. God's roadmap for me as a parent, loving and leading my children, starts with me loving God. The message to me would be, Matt, you love God first. Love God first, and then you lead your children to love him. Love God first with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right, and strength. And Jesus, when challenged, he summed up all of the law. The Ten Commandments plus everything you see in Deuteronomy. Jesus summed up in this way, love God and love others as yourself. And this summary is all the law and the prophets. But as parents, we have to be concerned firstly about the level of our love for God. God is concerned about your relationship with your children, to be sure. But his primary and first concern is your relationship with him. Don't miss that. He is concerned about your relationship with your kids, but his first and primary concern is your relationship with him. Everything flows from that. Deuteronomy 4, 9 and 14. It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. It goes on to say, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, one of the things you see is this pattern of the words of forgetfulness and remembrance. As I was trying to just think through, there's so much that could be said about loving God. And here's just one practical thing I would say is like infuse in your family 
like a rhythm of remembrance. Like don't forget how faithful God has been. And don't forget how faithful he is now. And don't forget what he said he's going to do in the future. Like keep remembering. Don't forget. That's a rhythm within Deuteronomy. And it's intentional. Again, if Deuteronomy is aligning the people of, of God with his vision for what it looks like to be his people, part of that is love me and don't forget what I've done. Don't forget what I'm doing. And don't forget what I will do. Anchor yourselves in those things. And I think it's instructive for us as parents. The faithfulness of God in the past, his works in the present, his promises for the future. Deuteronomy 6, a very famous section to the families within the nation of Israel, particularly to the dads. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Notably, firstly, on your heart. And then, as it were, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, as I think about how to summarize all this, the Bible says it's a high call to love God with everything that we have. Love him with all you got. Your time, your heart, your talents, your treasures. Love him with everything that you have. There's also this call to let his word be seen in your life everywhere. Seen by you and seen by others. Talk about him all the time. When you walk and when you rise, when you eat, when you play, when you work. Talk about his word all the time and let his power and presence be seen all over your life. So much it's like it's written on your face, written on your hands. It's like you carry it with you. It just splashes out because it's so near to your heart. Love God. And then the last thing I'll share is lead by example. Uh, William Farley, his book, Gospel Powered Parenting. We're, we're going to put some resources either on our website or somewhere, get them out to you um, as a part of this series. This is a book I'd, I'd recommend. It's called Gospel Powered Parenting. It says how the gospel shapes and transforms parenting. Just one real brief snippet I want to highlight in this lead by example part, which is what I'll finish with, is this. I'll just read a a brief paragraph from his book. It's called The First Principle of Parenting. He says this. He says, parenting is about leadership. An example is the first principle of biblical leadership. When parents practice what they teach, God gives them moral authority in their children's eyes. All teaching in the Bible starts with example. Parenting is leadership, and at the heart of biblical leadership is example. And you see this all over the Bible. You see, it in, you see it in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He says this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So you see it in Jesus, his relationship with his disciples. First Timothy 4, you see this commending to this young pastor, Timothy. He says, Paul says, don't, look any, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, your age, but prove to be an example to those in your care. 
set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, and faith, and in purity. 1 Peter 5, we're called to be examples to the flock as pastors. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Parents, here's my question to us. What is our example preaching to our kids? Like, what is our example preaching to our kids? Maybe I'd say it this way. Like, our parenting will preach for us. Just like our marriages will preach for us. The question is, what are they preaching? What are they saying? They'll say something, to be sure. And that's sobering. What is your parenting saying about the gospel? What is your parenting saying about Christ? If my kids were to follow my spiritual steps right now, would the path lead them to deeper devotion to Christ? Or would my steps lead them to Christ at all? Like if they're lockstep with me, every step that I take, spiritually speaking, would it lead them to deeper devotion to Jesus? What does my life live preaching to my kids? What picture of the Christian life are you providing? Is there joy in and vibrancy in your, your walk with God, your relationship with Jesus? What depiction of the gospel does your marriage give your children? Do they see Ephesians 5 in it, this mystery depicted in the relationship between husband and wife? As a wife, as you're called to come underneath the leadership of your husband and respect him like the church comes underneath Christ, do your kids see that? And fellas, does, does your, do your kids see you laying your life down for your wife loving her as Christ loved the church like your marriage will preach to your kids? It is preaching to your kids. Is it preaching something true to Scripture or not? As we ask meaningful, evaluative questions, ultimately we'll be confronted with our areas of failure and inconsistency. I talked to a couple of my girls yesterday about this. Here's a distinction that I want to make. Like if you ever to go to your children and ask them about your level of consistency, just be confident you're inconsistent. <laughs> but let me make this distinction. It's very different to be inconsistent and to be hypocritical. And here's the difference. The difference between hypocrisy and inconsistency is change. And the biblical word for that is repentance. Where you find inconsistency, if you're unwilling to change, your inconsistency will lead ultimately to a, a vision of hypocrisy. But where you find inconsistency in your life, when confronted with a biblical vision for this is what God says, here's where my life aligns, it's inconsistent, I need to change, and by the grace of God, I ask forgiveness, I know I need change, and I'm going to endeavor to change that's inconsistency covered in the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. And my kids need to see that. Like when I ask their forgiveness for blowing it thousands of times that I've done that, my reaction to them or the way that I've approached them or anger, they need to see that the grace of God is real to me before I commend it to be real to them. But please don't miss that. You're going to be inconsistent. But the grace of God allows the believer to stand up once more and keep being faithful. Stand up again. The resurrected Jesus gives you power to change. Have hope that you can change as a parent, not just as an individual. If God's law is his vision for living 
a life that pleases him, all of us have neglected, ignored, and unhitched ourselves from that vision. We have not and we do not love God and love others the way that we should. If you're in this room, this is probably the best opportunity in the context of this message for me just to plainly share with you the good news of the Christian message. If you leave this place and you're confronted by the fact that you've lived your life in part or in whole, rebellious to God, and you know that to be true, and you evaluate your position before God in light of what he says, that your life is to be aligned with his word, and you know it's not, and you're confronted by that gravity, then let me just commend you to trust in Christ. The Christian message is that Jesus lived the perfect life you could never live. In all of the moments where you have failed, Jesus became your failure on the cross, paid your debt in full. And when he was on the cross, he said that that payment is finished. There's no more wrath left to take. He paid it all. And so your responsibility, your work, is to trust in the work of Christ today. And it'll affect your journey as a parent. Because all the moments that you feel disoriented and discouraged and disappointed in what you are doing or what you're not doing or the outcomes with your kids, you can fall back on the grace of God, knowing that you're forgiven, and you can get up to, to work again, to labor, to be the kind of parent that he desires for you to be, all by the grace of God. So don't leave here merely reminded of your failures or your inconsistencies, but have a beautiful picture of the fact that all your inconsistencies were paid for on Jesus, on the cross, when he hung there, and may it be for you today. Let me just leave you with these final thoughts. I was thinking about this. I'm just going to read it to you the way that came to mind for me. You can, uh, you can lead your kids to a place you've never been if you're willing to go to. You can't give away something that you don't have. But you can, go, you can lead your kids to a place that you've never been if you're willing to go with them. And you can lead them away from a place you have been and want them to avoid, and that's right, and you should do that. And you can lead them to a place even that you need to return, acknowledging you need to change. And some of you in this room, I think, might fall into that category. You might feel like, man, I need to change. Yet I'm over here trying to preach to my kids, and I'm commending them to follow Jesus. Take them with you on the journey to follow Jesus. You can bring them to a place that you need to return. Don't fall into the lie that somehow you've got to just make up for all the years. Just make up for it by turning to Christ. Do it today. Take them with you. Let them see a vivid picture of the grace of God. But also, let's be reminded too, the most effective way for us to lead our children is to, is to call them to join us in the place where we already are. Walking with Christ enjoying his presence, empowered by his grace, motivated by his example. And we want you to join us in that pursuit. And I pray that more and more for us as parents now, parents someday, and then just as believers, that we'd align ourselves with God's vision for what it looks like to follow him in our lives and certainly in our parenting. Amen? Let's pray for that. God, we praise you for the fact that you, um, you have not left us guessing as it relates to what it looks like to live a life that pleases you. Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Your word does give us a vision 
for what it means to have a life that is aligned with your purposes and your intent, a life that is full of blessing and flourishing, that's not necessarily easy, but it's filled with joy because we know the God who lights our path, who holds a lamp to our feet. And I want to pray specifically for the parents in this room. I pray for those who are discouraged, disheartened, maybe particularly mindful of the ways that they have or are failing, and I pray that you would flood them with a biblical picture of the grace that you provide through Christ. That every single day we wake up because of the abounding nature of grace, that where our sin abounds, your grace abounds all the more. We have every reason to be hopeful every day we wake up that we can be different today than we were yesterday, tomorrow than we were today, stronger in you tomorrow than we are today. Fill them with that hope, God, I pray, through your spirit and through your word. God, I pray that um, you'd help us to parse through all of the voices, all of the quote-unquote visions for parenting, even things that can be helpful, but they wouldn't become primary for us that we would have as primary to our motivation, our hearts, our desires to align our lives and our parenting with your word. Help us in our inconsistency to heap ourselves upon Christ and to be empowered to change, to not be content with apathy or patterns that are unhealthy or just merely defining parenting by what we don't want to be, but give us a bigger vision. Give us a higher, healthier vision. Give us joy in pursuing that vision And God, I pray for the many in this room that maybe aren't parents yet or maybe are post-parenthood, that they would feel the freedom to to know and to meditate upon biblical truths and be an encouragement to the parents in this room. And I pray that we'd raise up a generation of men and women who love you, who are acquainted with the, the good news of Jesus that he died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Help us to walk with you. Help us to follow you. Help us to to walk what we talk, to practice what we preach. Let our love for you be without hypocrisy and be genuine. Help us in these things, I pray, that your name would be made known through us and in us and through our church family because the world desperately needs to know that Jesus makes a difference. In his name I pray, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll sing one last song together.